This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how's your retirement plan? We're about to make it better with tips from the host of the Midland Money Mindset podcast, Lawrence Sprung. In our headlines, one famous investor says he messed up. Can his mistake help your investment planning? We'll see. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a stacker who wonders about life insurance reinstatement. And then I'll share some trivia celebrating a big day in Australian history. And now, two guys who people call the crocodile dundees of podcasting. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Hey there, stackers. And a question to our Australian listeners. Is uh, Crocodile Dundee a national treasure or has he been lost to history? Like, do we not know? I assume there's a statue of him in every town square. I think there has to be. Across the whole continent. Doesn't there? Holding the knife. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Revisionist Australian History for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Salci, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And that was the voice of my mom's neighbor, Doug. And the other voice you're about to hear... In three, in two, in one is Mr. OG. What's happening? You missed your mark. What is happening? You missed your mark again. What? We put an X on the floor. You're supposed to stand right there and smile and wave. I missed it. How are you? It's Wednesday. We're ready for some podcasting fun. Do, do you know Lauren Sprung? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't think I know Larry. Well, you're about to meet him. I'm about today. to which is super exciting. Uh, really enjoy his podcast, the Mitla Money Mindset Podcast. We'll also talk about where that name came from, Mitla Money, which is not where you think it comes from. It's an intriguing name. How's that for foreshadowing? But before all that, believe it or not, there's an investor who's done some tweeting, OG. Investor's done some tweeting. So we need to talk about that. But let me see. Let me look at the checklist. Oh, yeah, we got to also... Maybe take a second right here for this. 
This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, now you got your to-do list, don't you? You're ready to go dive in and be better at money than you were an hour ago when you started listening to the show. And you know what? For a great partner, become a member at Navy Federal Credit Union because becoming a member at Navy Federal could help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, when you're thinking about debt, as I've said before, a lot of people have debt. Very few people have a debt strategy. Well, with Navy Federal, you could borrow up to 100% of your home equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Make the plan, choose the best option because both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required, terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. All right, pre-flight checklist is done. Let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from a market watch. I saw this a couple of weeks ago and I just thought with the funny year we're having, OG, in the financial markets where everybody was doom and gloom at the beginning of the year. Who knows? Maybe between the time we recorded this and Not the time- everybody. It- and the time it comes out, I that, was uh, sunshine and rainbows. Let the record there, reflect. Yeah, that there is doom and gloom. However, I found this really interesting and I've been holding on to it. Michael Burry of the Big Short fame says, Doctor, he was wrong to tell investors to sell. Michael Burry, the hedge fund manager at Cyan Asset Management, made famous by Michael Lewis's book, The Big Short, said in a tweet that he was wrong to tell investors to sell stocks. Two months ago, he was sure, OG, the market was going south. And as of the time of his tweet, he was 100% wrong and thought that things are probably turning in an opposite way that, than he thought. Wow. Somebody got it wrong when they guessed. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> but we think, we think that if, especially if we follow these people online, OG, that, that hey, if, if Burry says sell and he's way smarter than me, he's got way more information than I have, I should probably sell too. Well, the reality is, is that all of that stuff, faster computers and smarter people and better this and better that boots on the ground type of thing was probably true 30 or 40 years ago. And especially in 
underdeveloped nations and that sort of thing. I mean, Franklin Templeton, that's, they kind of made their international stake in the ground because of the fact that they, they basically said, we've got people on the ground. That was kind of their story. Yeah. You know, while that was true and the technology piece was true and, you know, we've got buildings full of people that are smarter than you. The efficient market hypothesis is, is that all of the known publicly available data is known to every market participant at the same time. Now, you may not be able to interpret it as fast as, you know, a room full of Goldman Sachs bankers or Michael Burry, but because he says, I think that, or our economists believe that, you know, that sort of intro into uh, commentary around market fluctuations or what's going to happen in the short term, I think is just every bit a guess as Doug, Joe, or OG saying it. I mean, it's just... It's educated. It's their opinion. It's what they think might happen based on the stuff that they're interpreting. But the reality is, is that there's not a single person who's been able to predict the market consistently in advance and do that over long periods of time. You know, if you say, hey, I think the market's going to go up 10%. I think the market's going to go up 10%. I think the market's going to go up 10 Eventually it will. And then you can be like, see, I told you. I told you guys, it's the same thing with the market going down. You know, these kind of, these folks who are like the, the Reddit people call them the perma bears, right? Like the people who are always on CNBC or always on Fox business telling us the sky is falling Yeah, it looks good now, but it's going to go the other way shortly. Michael Burry is one of these people who always thinks that the market's going to go down. So if you say it all the time, one out of every five or six years, you'll be right. And then you can be like, see, I told you. I've been, I've been telling you guys this for two years, the market was going to go down. I think of Abby Joseph Cohen doing the same thing in 2000, 2002. She called that downturn. And after that, remember, OG, she was a goddess. And she yeah. continually then made wrong call after wrong call after wrong call. Well, look at and, uh, and, and a lot investing. of people said. Yeah, a lot of people said, well, it's Abby Joseph Cohen. She must be right because she made that one unbelievable call. Yeah. Look at who? Yeah, I mean, uh, Ark, you know, with Kathy oh, Wood. Oh, yeah, and, Kathy Wood. Um, Michael Burry, of course, was famously correct about the housing stuff, but that's just another great example of you can be right longer than you can be solvent. He just happened to be in a position as a hedge fund manager to quite literally stop the withdrawals from his fund to say, no, we're not letting you take the money out because I'm right. I mean, he had his convictions and ended up being right, but was right way early and was right way, way, way um, more expensively than other people. That's just not a characteristic that that investors have. Well, especially the average stacker, right? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be able to have your money in that fund and last long enough to uh, to ride it out. Well, I mean, it's like going to the casino, I think. And I don't want to compare investing to going to the casino. But I had a friend of mine, maybe, maybe you told me this, Joe, maybe it, was, maybe it was a mutual friend, who would go to the casino with the amount of money that he wanted to bet, which was always significant, and would play one hand of blackjack. What's the point of putting a nickel into a slot machine and winning another nickel? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's entertainment value. But if you're going to go, you might as well either win or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and the problem is, is that with regular investors who, you know, have their side money, and this is what always interests me about this, 
It's like, well, I want my side money. It's like, for what? You're not making a big enough bet to make a big enough impact oh. in your in your portfolio. You know what I mean? This is wrong here, though. I like my side money. No, I'm I'm, I'm not saying that you can have it or not. I'm just saying that you can't pull a Michael Burry. Right. Because okay. you don't have yeah. $2 billion to put in one idea yeah. to, you know what I mean? Like your convicted idea of like, yes, I think that Silicon Valley Bank is going to go bankrupt, right? So let's say that you had that idea in December. How much do you put toward that idea? Like how much conviction do you put toward that idea? Do you put $1,000 or $5,000? And yeah, you made 10 or 15, but you didn't, you didn't make walkaway money. You know what I mean? So when you follow these people who have these like very, you know. Uh, Opinionated. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say like bipolar calls, right? It's, it's never like, hey, I think the market's going to do what it always does. Average seven to 10 for the next 20 years, you should invest in stocks. Nobody ever says that as their, as their call. They're always like Dow 35,000. Dow 15,000. And there's never a kind of middle ground. And so if you're going to follow those people who make those extreme calls on the opposite ends, you're probably not doing it with enough money to make a difference anyway. So my point in all of that is, why bother? Stick to your index fund investing, your diversified investment Like you've got your plan, not Michael Burry's plan. Yeah, totally agree. You know, it's interesting. You referenced Templeton Investments and Sir John Templeton. I like a quote of his where he says, if everybody goes left, I immediately look right. And I always, always thought that's good. If Michael Burry says sell, I may be thinking about buying. What do you do when he says, oops? (laughs) Maybe he's right now. Oh, crap. Now he's wrong again. My bad. Yeah. Coming up next, Lauren Sprung is an advisor who founded Midland Financial in 2004. Uh, He'll explain where that name came from. His podcast, the Midland Money Mindset Podcast, I've been on. I really enjoyed that as part of my book tour last year. He's a financial planner with a definite point of view, OG, which is what we're about to hear is definite point of view. But I think that if we think more like uh, Lawrence, I think we we may do a better job in setting our plans in motion. But before we get there, apparently we're celebrating a big day for Australia, Doug. Sure do, Joe. Probably the biggest day ever for Australians. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And on today's date, way back in 1770, explorer James Cook discovered Australia. True story. He sailed along the shore, just waving at all the people who were already there and said, I can't believe I'm the first one here. Nobody knows about this place. What an event. So in honor of this incredible finding, a whole continent Let's share some Australian money trivia. What's the Australian equivalent to the American dollar? I'll be back right after I go feed our wallaby in the backyard. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech, For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, 
mice and more must have electronics and accessories when you shop online at dell.com slash deals you'll have access to leading edge technology and free shipping on everything again that's dell.com slash deals stackers you've heard the bad news mint is shutting down if you've been using mint to manage your finances well there is some good news there's a better alternative monarch money it's what cheryl and i use to manage our money I, as you know, advocate a weekly meeting and Cheryl and I live by that weekly meeting. We sometimes miss it, but we get back on the horse and half the reason is, is because we consistently get updates and reminders from uh, Monarch money. I'm a notifications off kind of guy, but with Monarch, I want to see the notifications because it helps us collaborate we have our goals right next to the short-term spending that we have when we open up the app so we can see exactly what we're truly going for. And, you know, compare that thing in the moment that we want with what's the long-term goal. It's truly the next generation of personal finance apps. If you've been frustrated that there's ads all over your app or it's difficult to use or doesn't get updated, the Monarch people were too. And that is why they built a new kind of personal finance app that is intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, your investments, your transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you head to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. So you're going to get to kick the tires for 30 days, which I absolutely love because you want to make sure that it's for you. And I think the longer you use it, the more you will see, like I did, that uh, it's intuitive. Number one, it has this very simple design that makes it easy to set up, customize, and use. It's easy to collaborate. Uh, Cheryl has her login. I have mine. We can set up how we want. And you can send it to your financial advisor as well to have them have a login, anybody who's on your team. And you know what? No extra fee for that, which is amazing. It's all customizable, customer-focused, ad-free privacy you can trust. They'll never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. So after trying out Monarch for myself, I get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now... You can try too with an extended 30-day free trial. All you have to do is go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm Vegemite facialist and midnight oil karaoke ringer, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Today we're celebrating British explorer James Cook discovering Australia back in 1770. To celebrate, the indigenous people, apparently indigenous is British for invisible, threw him a huge party that probably costs a lot of money. Australian money. So let's see if you nailed today's question. What's the Australian equivalent to the US dollar? The answer? The Australians use a measure of currency known as a dollar. Similar, but, you know, just slightly different. I bet our Australian friend Josh, who hosts the Podcasting is Punk Rock podcast, is glad to know what that funny-looking money he's using is called. You're welcome, Josh. And here comes our gift to the rest of you, Lawrence Sprung. And I'm super happy we finally have him in Mom's basement. Larry Sprung is here. How are you, man? I am awesome. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I would have guessed that's a frequent answer for you, that you're awesome. 
Oh, I listen. If you're not, then uh, I shouldn't be here this morning. You know, it's uh, it's a good day. It's a good day, and it always is. But but you're awesome to the point that you've had T-shirts printed. That where you ask the question, tell everybody about your T-shirts. Yeah. So our T-shirts say, what did you do today that brought you joy? And uh, we've gotten some interesting answers over the years. You, you and a woman just come up to you. I think based on what I read, it sounded like you didn't even realize you were wearing the T-shirt. She just came up to you and said, Hershey's Kisses. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, caught that because, yeah, I was online at a ride in uh, at Walt Disney World and a woman just blurts out, Hershey Kisses. And I'm like, well, huh. I look at my wife. I'm like, what the heck is she talking about? Hershey this Kisses. Woman's this woman's crazy. I'm, I'm like, what? Hershey's Kisses back to you. Yeah. But I'm married. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was like, what? So my wife goes, look at your shirt, dummy. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I forgot. I totally forgot I was wearing it. But I've gotten eyeballs. It, it got to the point where people were taking pictures, so many pictures of the shirt that I put a QR code on the back so people could link into our podcast because I, I was saying when they were taking pictures, hey, we have a podcast. Oh, how do I get to it? Oh, you know, look up Midland Money Mindset. Now they just have to, uh, you know, scan the QR code on the back, which makes it a heck of a lot easier. That's so fabulous. But you begin your whole book. I wanted to start there with that story because you begin your whole book with this whole discourse on joy, which surprised me. <laughs> but why is joy, why is this important enough to you that you made T-shirts about it? Yeah, because I think people forget when they're working with a financial advisor, I'm in the wealth management profession, right? And I, I think both advisors and the families forget why they're doing all this planning. You know, there's such a focus on the numbers. You know, will I be able to retire? How much money do I need to be retired? And there's this whole idea and construct that you work 30, 40, 50 years, and then all of a sudden you get to enjoy life. I, I don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me. And that's why I'm awesome every day, because I want to experience joy every day. So that is really the premise. And that's really what the underlying reason of what we're looking to help families with is we are helping them to reach for their goals, reach for whatever they're looking to accomplish in life, and achieve as much joy along the way as they possibly can, because that's what it's all about. So they shouldn't have to wait 30, 40, 50 years for that joy where they stop working. They should do it all along. And that's what we help them try to do. I feel like too, as I was reading through this project, that if you do that 30, 40, 50 year plan anyway, you've set these horrible, I don't know, you're not going to change you know, you're not going to all of a sudden go from being this miser that does nothing to being somebody that all of a sudden experiences joy. Like you kind of set your life up in a bad way. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think the other problem is, you know, people are so focused on, on work, 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 that even if they believe that they should work that period of time and then all of a sudden stop working and retiring, it's very difficult for them to really achieve any level of joy. You know, we see people going back to work in their 50s, 60s, 70s all the time. And contrary to what the general media leads people to believe, which is they need the money and they need the income. And believe me, there are people that that applies to for sure. But there are also a lot of people that aren't finding joy in being retired. So they need to have some kind of meaning in their life. Yeah. Uh, you break down retirement planning and I know a lot of our stacker communities excited to look at things through your eyes for a day to kind of get across the table to the financial planner side. You break down retirement planning into two parts. Can you go over what these just generally speaking, what these two big, big ideas are when it comes to retirement planning? 
Yeah. So one part is actually the money, the numbers, right? What do I need financially to be able to retire, which is important. It's it's really a part component to that. And I, I think my definition of retirement isn't necessarily working all those years and then stopping. It's really to create an avenue by which you can replace the income stream that you're getting working, whether it's earlier on or later and, and trying to figure out that numerical. And, and then the other component is the mental and social impacts of retirement. How do you prepare for mentally and socially retiring and slowing down? Joe, you probably experience the same thing I do. You're out and about, you meet somebody. Oh, hey, what, you know, who are you? What, what do you do? And their first answer is, oh, well, I'm the CEO of such and such a company, or I'm an attorney at such and such, or I'm a CPA. We're it defines so, our life. Right, yeah. right. And, and, and that mental and social component is very, very difficult to turn that off on a dime and go into retirement. So you have to look at both the money and you also have to look at the mental and social impacts of what it means to start slowing down or actually retire. You write early on that people really get intimidated by financial planning. But you know, you say the words retirement planning. There's already people that have heard you say retirement planning now and they're like this is so big. It's so it's so intimidating. This is a huge part of our life that it just completely it completely you say that that, that really kind of destroys our confidence when we look at retirement planning that way. Especially the younger you are, right? It's almost infeasible for people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s to even think about retiring. And it's such a big thing because it brings out a lot of different emotions, right? You'd say the words retirement planning and immediately dollars start floating through your mind. What am I going to do with the time? There's so many emotions that flood over us. That it's like, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll save this for another day. Let me go play golf yeah, or let right. me go play with my kids. Let me go do something else. I'll, I'll worry about this later on. And it's intimidating. You have some statistics though. 91% of people who do a holistic financial plan say it was useful. 33% say it was critical. Charles Schwab, another stat that you talk about is uh, people are a lot less stressed out about their life, which is interesting. I actually read, you'll like this, Larry, I read a um, a quote by Eckerd Toll. Is it Toll or Tolley? I never know. I think it's Toll. Toll. Yeah. yeah, I think it might be. I don't know. That E on the end gets me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Eckerd Tolley says that stress, stress is where the future becomes so important to us that we forget about the present. Right. And basically saying that if we focus more on the present and we can be more in the present, the stress kind of goes away. It seems like what you're saying is the same thing here. A financial plan helps make that stress go away. Right on. And yeah, I agree with that. And I agree with what they said. And yes, that's exactly what it's all about because it's not as easy. You know, it's not like planning a vacation where you have a definitive place you're going to, you have a definitive time frame that you're going to be there, and you could fill up all that time with exactly what you know you want to do and how you're going to get joy. Retirement planning is something that is going to evolve over time, and I think people going into it think they have to have all the answers right out of the gate, and they don't. All they need to do is start creating that framework so as life and life events change, they can basically amend and update that plan to where they are in life. So it is a true representation of where they currently are, and they don't have to focus on where they're going to be 20, 30 years down the road. They can focus in the present and make sure what they're doing is going to benefit them in the long term as well. Well, in the present, that brings them more joy. Back to your joy 100%. Idea. 
I love this topic, and I was going to bring this up later, but let's do this now. We interviewed recently Joanne Lippman, the former editor-in-chief of USA Today, and she's got this project she's worked on called Next, where she's talking about going from one phase of life to another, almost the same discussion we're having now. Mm-hmm. And she said, all the research suggests, Larry, exactly what you're saying, which is you don't have to have it all figured out. And in fact, sometimes just kind of stumbling along, but knowing a little bit about that you are stumbling purposefully makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. But but I want to dig into that. When you have somebody come into your office or you're talking to somebody and they're like, listen, I don't really know what my goals are. And you you just said that you don't have to know all your goals, but how do you plan when you don't know what the end goals are going to be? How do you solve for ambiguity? Yeah, I mean, that's tough. And I, I think you just have to, and how we handle it is, we start asking more open-ended questions because typically there are some goals. They just may not be top of mind. They may think that they're so far-reaching or unattainable that they're embarrassed to talk about it or think that it's not even an option. So we ask some more open-ended questions to get a framework of ultimately what what are they expecting? What do they want their life to look like? What are their plans for the future? And you know, again, it it may be nothing, it may be a lot, or it may be somewhere in between. And we start planning for that. And we start looking for the future because by having control or at least a little bit of control about it today is going to give us more confidence, give us more joy. And they may walk away in that moment saying, you know what, I I don't really think I have anything. And then if they start putting some thought and effort into it, they may start coming up with some things that they never realized or in that moment didn't think about. Do you fill in those holes then with like current, um, current thoughts? Like as an example, if I'm in my thirties, I'm living a lifestyle. I'm not really sure what I want to do 30 years from now. Cause I love my job. Let's say I want to retire when I'm 60, 65 years old. So I set that up as a plan. Do you then just solve for the lifestyle I live today? And can I do it on my same lifestyle? Like how do I fill in these ambiguity gaps that are going to be there? Yeah. So, I mean, some people, you know, we leave that up to the family in in that case and we'll say, hey, do you want us to solve based upon what we know today? Or are there certain things that you know in the future you're going to need to solve for? Uh, If you're fairly confident, hey, I want to have a family. I want to have kids. I'm going to have to pay for college education. You know, we start filling those in because worst case, right, we solve for a much larger number and it's not needed. Uh, but it's it's a little bit more difficult if you have no goals and you just solve for today and today alone because it's going to be easier to reach those goals. So if not, we'll we'll actually give them a little bit of homework and say, hey, listen, think about maybe one or two top things that you can think about that are important to you that you would want to see have happen over the you know foreseeable future. Maybe a rental property, maybe you know some other type of investment. Maybe you want a boat or a vacation, something along those lines to get them thinking in that direction. You know the best two days of a boat owner's life, Larry. Yes, the day they buy it and the day and and that's the exact reason why I don't own a boat and I'm a member of Freedom Boat Club. The best the best monthly membership I have ever paid. It's great. I, I take the boat out, I bring it back, I hand them the keys and they charge me for the gas. It's fantastic. That's what you could even get rid of that if you just made friends with somebody who owns a boat. Yeah, I that's mean, true. That's true. But then I gotta rely on them going out. They might ask true. me to clean it. I don't oh, know. I don't wanna do pass. that. I don't hard, want to hard, do hard pass. Right. We'll go out on my boat on freedom and then they don't have to worry about any of that. Well, I hope that everybody hears you doubling down on on hey, if you do have ambiguity, 
think more about your why, but full well knowing that that may change, right? I mean, you're still going to build flexibility into your plan. This is so important to you for a couple reasons. You write that you lost your mom to cancer. How old, how old were you and how did that affect you? So my mom was diagnosed in her thirties. I I was in my like 12, 13 years old or so, maybe 11. And uh, she passed away at the age of 47 and uh, died the day after my 23rd birthday. And it affected me deeply. We were very close, you know, for the last, uh, basically four months of her life, I was actually not working at that point in time. I chose to take a a step back from, you know, working and in my career. And I spent a lot of time with her. So, you know, that has affected me deeply in seeing how short life is and, you know, has really imparted upon me a lot of the concepts in the book. And, you know, I know a lot of people think about that and maybe they haven't experienced it, But, you know, I wanted to impart upon them that life is short and it is precious. And uh, I experienced it myself. And I I think others should get more joy along the way as a result, too, because you never know. You say that uh, you saw in your dad the effects of really not having a well thought out plan. Yeah, so my my dad didn't have a financial advisor and he had, he had a lot of balls that he was juggling, you know, he was taking care of the family, my sister and I, he had a full-time job as a New York City school teacher. Uh, he also taught night school at times. And then in addition to all that, had his own uh, side business, which, you know, predated the side hustle. So he was he was balancing all these. And having an advisor would not have mitigated any of the issues my mom had, her illness, you know, her care. But I feel like it would have been beneficial to him to have either had a game plan or had somebody to bounce ideas off of as things had changed, right? He was very much more reactive because he didn't have a plan in place than being proactive. And that has really resonated with me. And you know, in my career, uh, I take a lot of pride in, in helping families that we've worked with in planning for these events in the hopes that they never happen, some of you know the bad things. But there are also a lot of good things, right? Helping plan for a new home purchase, a baby coming, a marriage, things like that uh, as well. So it, it really is a lot of meaningful work. And I think he would have benefited from somebody like us and what we do today. This is how much uh, you think about this. The name of your firm, actually, which, by the way, I wondered that when I first met you about where the heck the name Midland comes from. Like, what is is Larry like the spokesperson for this bigger firm called Midland Money Mindset? And Mr. Midland's like, no, you, Larry, no, you got to be on the show. You got to be on the podcast. You're like, OK, Mr. Midland. But that's not what Midland's all about. What's Midland about? No, so I've actually I've gotten calls. There actually is Midland is a family name somewhere because I've gotten calls from family members thinking I might be a member of their family, which I'm not. Uh, I'm not happy to be. Uh, it might yeah, give may, you joy. Well, maybe. I might have to do a little more research on that. But <laughs> yeah, so the MIT was my wife's grandfather, Mitchell, and he was a uh, New York City police officer, veteran, just a, a really nice guy. He was the kind of guy that would buy ice cream for the entire block when the ice cream truck came down the road. And it wasn't because he was wealthy. It was just that he got a lot of joy out of doing that. And my mom's name was Linda, L-I-N. She was just a super courageous, down to earth, just uh, no quit and, and, you know, full transparent person that uh, everybody was really attracted to in terms of her personality. And when we were thinking about forming the firm, uh, we thought it would be no better to use these two people's names to bring it together. The interesting thing is on top of that, my wife and I met 
about three or four months after these two people passed away, we met, we started reconciling where we were and why we were where we were. And as it turned out, Mitchell and Linda uh, passed away literally within hours of each other the same day. So when we were thinking about the firm name, we were like, hey, these people really embody what we want to be about. And what better way to honor these two individuals and and have core values associated with the firm than using their names in the, the firm name and naming it Midland. You take this idea then of a why, obviously then, as we've been talking about, you marry it to your financial plan, to a holistic financial plan. First of all, can we talk about the difference between holistic, like the importance of the word holistic when you talk about financial planning? Because I think some people don't know what the hell that is. Like when, I, when I'm in these online groups sometimes, Larry, people are like, why do I need a financial advisor? I can pick an index fund. I'm like, mm-hmm. eh, I think you're missing out on really what an advisor does. What is a holistic So, yeah. So first of all, I think holistic is overused and there are a lot of people who use it that really are using it as a tool to attract families to work with them and they don't really do holistic financial planning. you can get like the whole annuity and all the insurance? There you go. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, what it really should be is having somebody who's actually devising a plan, uh, you know, giving you a full picture of where you are today, where you want to be and creating a uh, glide path to get there and a way to adjust along the way. And investments happen to be one part of that. Other areas of that are insurance. Are you properly covered if you lose the ability to work or you know one of the spouses dies? Also looking at property and casualty insurance, which a lot of times gets overlooked. You've built up all these assets. Do you have the right protections in place to protect them uh, from creditors and predators and lawsuits, et cetera? Uh, you know, really looking at the full holistic picture. You know, that's something that we get a lot of. When people come to us, they think we're an investment firm. We're investment managers. And the way I explain it is we are financial planners. We want to have a plan together for you that we can grow and develop and refine over time. And the investments are one component of that. So my advice to your listeners, if somebody says they're a holistic planner, number one, ask that person what that means. If they say, oh, well, we can asset allocate your assets and we rebalance, then that's probably not holistic planning. If they say it and they describe it as the way I just described it, they may still not be, and they may be, but the answer to your question will come after you start working with them. Are they concentrating on other things than just the investment? If they aren't, then probably not holistic, where we concentrate on everything, taxes, P&C, life, all areas that touch our families' lives. Well, you're truly starting with that why, I think, versus starting with the product, right? Oh, you're 100%. starting with that, that why, and then that drives the whole plan. Otherwise, there is no plan to really plan <laughs> out. If you have no why, if there's no reason for you to be or do or what you want to accomplish, then how do you even develop a plan for that? This idea of planning, by the way, this is not a I'm retiring Friday, so I should plan today <laughs> kind of thing. This is a the earlier you plan, the further away the goal is, the easier it's going to be. And I, I want to give people an example from your book, which is you started saving for college before you had kids. <laughs> I did. So I, I opened up my first 529 plan account in about 1998, 99, that area. And my first son was born in 2003. What if you didn't have kids? What if that just never happened? 
Yeah, I mean, if I didn't have kids and it never happened, I, I would have probably used some of those funds for myself at some point along the way. I've gone through educational components that uh, I could have used those funds for. Maybe my wife would have been able to do it, or I could have potentially used it for a niece or a nephew down the road. You know, there there were benefits to starting early. Uh, there were some tax benefits here in New York that I wanted to also utilize uh, as contributing. So it seemed like a win-win. And at, at the time, I was together with my wife, so it really was looking like we were going to, you know, we had talked about and planning to have kids. We just weren't there yet. And uh, it just seemed like a, a great idea. And we benefited from starting that early and uh, and compound interest for sure. Well, can you talk about how much in your book it says like 70% of what you're going to send your kids to school with is interest, like the market did the work for you? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. So we're actually using uh, money from the 529 plans now for my older son who's in college and uh, 70 cents on every dollar that we're withdrawing out of the 529 plan is interest and only 30 cents on every dollar is money that my wife and I have actually contributed to the plan. That's pretty powerful. And, you know, I think a lot of folks think about college savings. They don't end up doing anything. They wait. And their college savings plan is my son or daughter is either going to get a scholarship or we're going to get loans. And that's not a great way to go into that type of scenario. Now, I'm not saying you have to start as early as I did and start saving before you have kids, but it would make a whole lot of sense that the minute your first child is born, set that plan up and get it working for you. So you have that 18 year period to, uh, to benefit from. Exponentially easier. You're not a big believer in rules of thumb, which I uh, wanted to high five your work when I saw that because I, I don't like it either. But you do have some tricks. Let's talk about one of the tricks you have in the book. Obviously, you're going to set your 401k percentage when you save for retirement based on that goal. But you have this trick early in the book that says, at the very least, just contribute a little number. Can we talk about how you kind of get to trick yourself into paying yourself first when you don't think you can? The thing is this, number one is with your 401k in particular, if there is a match, whatever that match amount is, you should at least be putting that amount in. So if they're matching your first three, four, 5%, you should absolutely be putting that amount in because you're basically leaving money, free money on the table if you don't do that. Wherever you start, whatever the amount is at that matching level or even below, what I always suggest is you start ticking that up. Now, every plan has different rules. Some will allow you to uh, raise your deferral percentage every paycheck, some monthly, some quarterly, some annually. You know, So keep that in mind. But the whole idea is start with a number that you know in your sleep you can make a contribution to. And then the next time you have a chance to update it, raise it up a percent and see how that affects your take-home pay. In many cases, if you're contributing to a traditional 401k where you're getting a tax deduction for it, you're not going to see a whole lot of change on a 1% increase. And if you keep doing that until you get to a point where, hey, oh man, I surrender, I can't put in any more money, if you do that and then keep it at that point, you're going to put yourself in a much better position. And the earlier you do that and utilize compound interest, it's more beneficial to, for you to front-end load that in your 20s. When you don't think you have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of income, but you also don't have a lot of expenses and responsibility. So if you could put a lot of money in there and keep ticking it up until you get to that point, ideally, you want to try to shoot for paying yourself first 10% of your take-home pay. Guys, this is, this is such an effective trick. 
It is so effective versus what most people do, which is I'm going to put a little less than I think I can do just in case, right? Well, our brains are so lazy that if we leave money in reserve, we'll always spend it. Like we'll always spend that money we leave in reserve. Whenever I'd have meetings with clients, I would always challenge them to see if we can save a little bit more money. And they go, what if I can't? And to your point, Larry, I'd say, well, then either you call me or you just back down the 401k and just let me know, you know, do whatever you got to do, but we can just back it down. We can even start off saving it into an account that you think you can get it back, you know, but you know how many times I got a call from somebody saying that they couldn't actually save that money that I dared them to save? Never. I mean, 16 years, it never happened. And we do it, you know, we do six, seven times a week. I dare people to save a little bit more money. It, it, It is such a great trick. You don't like commingling money that's for different goals. You like those to have separate accounts. How come? Yeah, I think it becomes very muddy, right? If you have, a, you know, the account that you're keeping your normal everyday cash flow and bills that you're paying out of, you have an emergency fund, you have a vacation fund, maybe retirement assets, whatever those goals are. If you have it all in one account, it seems as if you have all this money, right? You have all this money available and it's hard to discern what's what. So rather than doing that, play a little mental trick, set up a separate savings account and name it emergency fund. Set up a separate savings account, name it vacation fund. What happens is when your money goes into that main checking account that you get your direct deposit in, dole out the amount of money that you're going to put into your save into your emergency fund into your vacation fund or whatever other goals you have and simply leave in that main checking account the amount that you need to pay your monthly bills this way if something comes up you know you're not dipping in thinking oh well i got all this money in my checking account i can afford it well you know what you're not really taking into account those emergency fund money and your vacation money then what So it's just a little mental trick and it seems to work really well for people because it actually puts a reason behind it and then also eliminates that money from seeming available for everyday expenses. Let's talk about emergency fund for a second. What do you say to those people online who will tell you, Larry, you've seen what inflation's been. Why am I going to set a bunch of money in a savings account earning less than inflation versus having 100% of my money invested? It seems suboptimal. I've heard that a lot online. Yeah, listen, there's pros and cons to everything, right? And the con you're paying in in terms of keeping that money in the emergency fund is, yes, you're not getting as great a return on the investment. Maybe you're battling against inflation there, but you're also gaining that immediate liquidity that is available. There are plenty of online banks even today that are paying decent returns. You know, I use one in particular. I think they just ticked up to around 4%. Uh, depending on where you believe inflation is today, you know, that's better than 0% for sure. But really the benefit is that I have that money available in case of an emergency. If you have it in the market and you have it a true emergency, you still have access to that money. You may be growing it better over a long period of time, but if you need to tap into it at the wrong period of time, you could have less money than you need or wanted to uh, tap into because of the decline in those assets. So I, I believe that having the liquidity and having that money readily available offsets the reasoning behind investing it and having it in, that money in the market per se. I want to ask you, you go into budgets. We've, we went through a long period where we didn't talk about budgets at all in the show and we've been hammering budgets lately. So I'm not going to 
dive too deep into this, but what makes an effective budget for you? So for me, it's just understanding how much money's coming in and how much money's coming out and understanding where that money is coming from on the way in and where it's going on the way out. We don't get involved in really creating those budgets for folks because one of the things that I find is when you start talking as an advisor to a family about budget, they're fearful because a lot of advisors spend shame their uh, families, meaning you know they start going through their expenses with a fine-tooth comb. You should get rid of this. You should get rid of that. And you know what? What I may think is a frivolous expense may bring that family a whole lot of joy. So who am I to say, get rid of that expense? Uh, so it's really a self-reflection and just a real self-understanding and awareness of what's happening with your money on a regular basis. But what I love about your answer there is that what everybody should do is, this is what I got out of it, Larry, is that uh, you should Marie Kondo your budget. Like go line by line and say, how much joy does this give me? And if it doesn't give me joy, then that's the factor that makes you get rid of it. Agreed. Yeah. I, you know, I reference Starbucks, you know, people say to me, oh, you spend, you know, three, $4, you know, whatever number of weeks. If you put that money in a Roth IRA over 15 years, you could have an extra $17,000 by time you retire. But you know what? I got a Starbucks yesterday. I really enjoyed it. I wanted it. I enjoyed it. I got a lot of joy out of it. And as long as I can afford it and it doesn't affect my budget, I will continue to do so. And that's really the uh, the standpoint we want families to be able to take. The book is Financial Planning Made Personal. It's funny, not made easy, made personal. I like that. What did you do today that brought you joy? Available where, Larry? Available everywhere? Yeah, the book will be available everywhere. It's available today. So go on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you normally read your books, and you, you should be able to find it there. Awesome. And uh, I would be I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the Mitla Money Mindset Show. What's coming up, man, that maybe is a surprise that you haven't told anybody about? Give us like the exclusive Mitla Money Mindset uh, thing that's on the horizon. Yeah, we have a lot of good shows. So the month of May, we dedicate to mental health awareness. So all five shows for the month of May will be dedicated to that. Um, we have different guests from uh, different walks of life that talk about mental health. And I think probably the most meaningful episode for me was the episode that'll be released on Wednesday, May 31st. My wife and I did that show together, and we talked about our involvement in the mental health space, uh, losing her brother Keith in 2004, and all of the work and how we've raised awareness through the Keith Milano Memorial Fund. So that is uh, something that uh, we're looking forward to releasing. That's fabulous. That's fantastic. We will link to the Mitla Money Mindset Show and uh, the book on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Larry, great talking to you again. Thank you so much for helping our stackers figure out a little bit about what, or at least think about a little bit, what brings them joy. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Andy Hill from the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. And when I'm not singing Disney karaoke songs with my kids at home, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Larry for hanging out with us. OG. He nails it. Do what sparks joy. It's like Marie Kondo, your financial plan, and it becomes a lot more fun, becomes a heck of a lot more interesting, and you're probably going to invest the right way. You won't be investing based on what Michael Burry says on Twitter. Yeah, do what you like to do, but then also make sure that from an investing standpoint, you invest according to the plan that you want, right? Like yeah. to do the things that you want to do. 
that will design your investment plan, not to, not what the internet says. And also this idea, this mistaken idea that it's all about the future. It's all about, you know, financial planning is all about the future. And I think he nailed it there too, that it's not, it's about doing what you want to do today as well. If it brings you joy, the delayed gratification game, yeah, you got to have some for later, but you also have to have some fun today and it's going to make planning a heck of a lot easier, OG, if you're enjoying the ride. That's right. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first. Oh, oh, um, melted ice. You don't know what you don't know what to do with that, do water. you? Are you talking about water? <laughs> water, yeah, yeah. Mel- melted ice, <laughs> otherwise known as fluid water, because I want to go fishing and I can't. Wait. What do you think the Australian equivalent for water is? Water. What? No, that's Brooklyn. <laughs> Similar. Oh, they're, pra- they're practically right next to each other. <laughs> Who knows? As, as far as Doug's, uh, Doug's repertoire of accents goes, they are right next to each other. Yeah. It's your loved ones in your time. Probably out fishing, Doug. Out fishing with you. That's, that's why they've do. been buying quality term life insurance. Yeah. Actually, simple. You don't want to go fishing around with a bad insurance company. How about that? Oh, you that go to stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life now to reel in a free quote. Oh, oh. Love what they're doing at Haven Just Life. Because they're committed to offering up a modern way to buy life insurance. Their application is simple. It's on the net. Mm. And you get an instant mm. coverage decision. You don't use mm. a net. No? Well, in the net, maybe not on the net. It's not. Well, yeah, their prices are affordable and all policies are issued by the big old trout of insurance companies. <laughs> that big old fat 28 inch hog sitting under a log in a cut bank. You just can't lure out until you tempt it with the best rates and the best process. And then that hog swims out and grabs your streamer and won't let go. It's mass mutual. That huge, I, do, I, I can feel the basement phone's about to ring and it's Matt, from, Matt from Haven life going, Hey, back down on the, uh, back down on the fish references, 160 year old insurer. No waiting several weeks for a decision. Lovely customer support. Stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail. And you know, that you need to do something about your insurance. If you don't have it, let's, let's use right now to just hit pause and get this done people. And today we're going to talk life insurance with Brian. Hey, Brian. Hi, this is Brian from sunny San Diego, except today due to the rain, I guess even in paradise, it's not always sunny, but while I'm indoors staying dry, I realized that I, had forgotten to pay my life insurance premium. I have, or I guess I had, a 30-year term policy that has been in place for about seven years that I accidentally let lapse, didn't pay the premium at all, and forgot all the reminder mailings. I've contacted my agent and have completed the reinstatement request from the carrier, but my question is related to the incontestability clause. The reinstatement request asked me to state the last time I went to see my doctor and if I started using tobacco products. I responded to those questions, but in my case, since I let the 
policy lapse, does the incontestability clause start over? Thanks for the answer, guys. Brian, thanks so much for the question. And man, that is somebody's a- trying to decide what answers he wants to put on his <laughs> life insurance application. <laughs> yeah, his his question's really, hey guys, help me cheat on this test. <laughs> could could you hear him taking the cigar in and out of his mouth while Can he's they answering? Come back on me. <laughs> Define tobacco. <laughs> Does it start over? Every insurance company is going to be different on that. That would be a great question for the, the agent or for the underwriter or the organization. An incontestability period is the time in which the insurance company can call BS on your on your application. Usually it's two years. And after that two years, if uh, the policy is still in force and so on and so forth, then it's just is what it is. And let's say that you say, no, I don't have any heart conditions whatsoever. I've never been to the doctor. And then you get a million-dollar life insurance policy, and 90 days later, you die of a heart attack. The insurance company is going to look into that and say, oh, well, in your medical records, you did go to the doctor, and you've had three heart surgeries, and you didn't tell us any of this. So we don't want to pay. Or we'll pay, but we're going to change the benefit to what we would have insured you for if we would have known this information in advance. And then, you know, and then whatever your premium would have bought based on that, we'll pay that. Or they just refund your premiums. So you don't want to screw around with it. You don't want to, uh, you don't want to fib on your life insurance application. But if you did, after two years, you're in the clear. I like that question, though. Have you started smoking? Have you known anybody to start smoking? Like, yeah, right. Well, at some point. I mean, other than like teenagers. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, I'm saying like, no, nobody starts smoking in their 30s oh. or something, right? It was yeah. like, you know what I haven't done in a long time? Smoke. I'm going to get into that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> like, you, I wonder, I'm sure there's data on this, but what are the average age of those who smoke, the average age they started? And what's the latest age in which somebody starts smoking? I mean, it's got to be early 20s, right? Like college, I would think so. Yeah, you develop that habit early and then you spend your lifetime trying to kick it or not, right? Or not. Yeah, or continuing to do it. Yeah. I do know some people that successfully quit some bad habits like this guy. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. (laughs) He quit sniffing glue. Oh, gee. That's fantastic. Oh, gee, our research team jumped right on that question of yours. And it turns out nine out of 10 adults who smoke try it before the age of 18. And 99% first try smoking by the age of 26. So that last 0.9 out of 10 try between 18 and 26. But everybody else, they're old pros by that point. So once you get to 26, you're in the clear. Yeah, right. And, and isn't it funny, that's the age that physiologists and psychologists say that we become adults. Your frontal lobe is fully developed for most people right around 26. And that's when you make, start making good decisions. I think that's an interesting corollary. When you get a coronary if you started smoking before 26. So, Can you thank our, uh, thank our research team, Doug? I will. I will, as I always do. But this time I'll, I'll be a little nicer the hamsters who operate that wheel. Uh, Big thanks to Brian for that question. What an interesting question. Good luck with that one, Brian. I feel like Brian just, like he knew the answer. He just wanted the shirt. 
I, I don't know. That is a, that is a good question. Like uh, the contestability clause, especially if your habits have, have changed. Maybe it's kind of a weird question to ask the underwriter though. Hey, uh, as I'm filling this out, um, how, how long are you guys going to hold me to these answers? Right. (laughs) Just out of curiosity. Not for nothing, but doing a research paper. Even when you were saying that, I was thinking, I don't know that I want to ask. That's like going to HR and saying, so tell me about our severance package. (laughs) How does that generally work? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just don't lie. Don't lie. Because the people who get hosed in that deal are your family, right? So you're dead. You don't care. And then your kids are like, but daddy didn't love us. So he only gave us (laughs) 200,000. And it's because you're a liar. So don't do that. Is that how it goes? What? (laughs) Uh, That's how you Uh, envision that whole thing. But daddy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they've got the little bowl of porridge. More. More. Oh, please. Is this now British daytime TV? Is that what it is? <laughs> wow. Uh, thank you, Brian. And uh, no extra charge for OG's acting there at the end. We're going to send Brian a shirt, a Stacking Benjamin's Greatest Money Show on Earth shirt for being so brave and calling up. If you'd like to be like Brian, stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail. All right, that's going to do it for today. Time to talk about the community calendar, guys. Man, we got a lot going on. Number one is if you've got a question for the show, it is a great time. I mentioned that and we got a few people that sent in questions, but Brian's like, wow, I just left that question and they are answering it. So if you've got a question this time of year, usually is a great time to ask stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail. Thanks to everybody who's left a review of this podcast. We really, really appreciate it when somebody takes just a second. Talk about pause, about pausing and leaving a review for other people about what people are getting into when they visit the Stacking Benjamin Show. Last, if you're somebody who is looking for answers about this market, about the economy, and maybe you're worried about it, well, instead of making some moves in your finances, what I'd like you to do instead is check out this free guide OG and his team put together. It'll help you plan more and panic less no matter what the market does. It has some great insights on what you should be doing and smart questions to ask yourself so that you make financial decisions your future self will thank you for. Go to stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. That's stackingbenjamins.com slash guide to get that free guide from OG. All right, uh, that's it. Man, there are a lot of takeaways today, Doug, but uh, I don't know. Give us your top three. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from Lawrence Sprung. A great retirement plan begins and ends with, what do you want to do? Start there, and not only will you find better investments, you'll also have more fun planning. Second, we hope you learned from our headlines that the best trade might be the one you never make off advice from a popular investor's tweet. But the big lesson... The big question isn't how you discover a continent that people are already standing on. The question is how all those people are successfully living upside down. I've seen a globe. Thanks to Lawrence Sprung for joining us today. You can find out more about his book, Financial Planning Made Personal, wherever books are sold. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. 
This show was written by Lacey Langford, who's also the host of the Military Money Show, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Yunkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required, terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Man, we haven't talked TV shows in a while, guys. And I got to tell you, it, it's such a great time for TV. Tonight, Cheryl and I are going to be watching the new Mandalorian and the new Ted Lasso. And so far, both seasons of those series are every bit as good as oh, past man, seasons. I forgot about Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. Ted is back. So, so, so good. But I don't want to talk about those. There's a show that I think both of you guys are going to really, 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 uh. really maybe four more reallys like, which oh. is the night agent. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. 
You have got to be kidding me. So good. No, so good. it is so bad. Man, if you like Jack Ryan and if you're and if you're a fan of uh Reacher, Night oh. Agent was so good. It was so Can't believe good. you're saying this. I am Man, we, so disappointed in you, we Joseph. We binged the last we, first of all, we couldn't Cheryl I'm in the next room working on a script for a future show because as we record this, I'm getting ready to go on this vacation that we'll talk about later. So I'm doing a little extra work. She's watching ahead. And so I go out, I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, don't worry. I will watch again with you. She goes, but, but, but I just need to see what happens next. Breaking the covenants of your marriage. I'm in the edge of my seat. Like what the hell happens next? We watched the last three episodes, which are almost 50 minutes long in one sitting, like a three hour movie. It was so good. It was so, so, so good. Have you heard anything I've said? Because I've been shouting at the top of my lungs about how much I don't like this show. And you just kept talking right through. Apparently Netflix lovers and I think similarly, because this thing's been number one for the last like three weeks, the number one show on Netflix. I think the general plot line I think is very good. Well-constructed. The dialogue is comically bad. And some of the casting choices are really bad. I do not. I'm five episodes. I think, I think I'm at least five, if not six episodes in. And I just can't get over those two things. The dialogue and the, some of the casting is just distracting to me. What are you talking about? The two assassins, like the like the dialogue the assassins have. There's that. Which sometimes gets dialogue, a little comical. Yeah, and there's the dialogue from the um, chief of staff. Like those lines, they're just things that a chief of staff. Look, I've never been one in the White House, but I'm pretty sure that. It's not like that. And I don't like the casting of the chief of staff. I don't like the casting of some of the, like the top FBI people. Uh, I just, it just Man, doesn't I think seem, you are wrong. They don't have the gravitas that I would expect. Oh, they don't you are so, conduct uh, themselves the chief the way of I staff, she's got some big, man, I wouldn't mess with that woman. She's supposed to be, she's supposed to be just a bulldog. <clears throat> I mean, I think of I watched like, the first episode and I wasn't immediately hooked. There you are go. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I mean, I'll watch the next one. I'll watch the next one. I'll see how it goes. Well, to you guys against it's two to one. There you go. Folks. All the people two in the world of, that have called this number one. Two out of three of your favorite podcasters are not sold on this show, despite well, Joe's I'm, I'm only on episode job. one, so I reserve judgment, but I was not clamoring to get to the next episode. I was like, eh, okay, I'll see it. I'll, I'll see it eventually. I thought you'd especially like it because of uh, the way the first episode goes. Like that whole scene where they're, they're, they're hunting the girl uh, as she's going to make the phone call. That's going to go to this room in the White House, by the way. This is a whole setup for everybody that hasn't seen it. There is a phone in a locked room that is manned uh, by a low-level FBI agent in the basement of the White House. And this phone almost never rings. And of course, the show begins with the phone ringing. And then all help alert breaks loose for 10 episodes. I hope there's that. a tie into the intro part of the because they started the episode, started the series with him being quite the heroic young man. Oh yeah, and then they kind of just go one year later, and <laughs> right. oh, they'll continually the, tie back into that. The thing they will continually a, the, tie back in. They they actually do that. That's a device they'll use every episode. They will go back into the history of different characters. And they will give you a little bit of more backstory. Well, of- the thing, so I don't think we're giving any spoilers away, but he he averts a train bombing. 
the scene opens and he's on the train and notices a suspicious package and stops the train, gets everybody off and, you know, saves a whole bunch of people. But the, the thing that doesn't check with that was, and then he got assigned the crappy job. Like, I don't get it. Like if you, I, can't, I will, after we, there's some comment. So keep watching basically. After we stop recording, uh, after we stop recording, dude, you're not done with it. Are you Doug? I'm far enough in that I, if I'm going to love it, I should have loved it by now. Then don't say that you know. Don't say that you know because so you don't he's in know. On it. He's in you on don't it. Dun, know. Dun, dun, dun. No, you're right. I don't know the answers, but I will say I'm not going to get over the dialogue and the casting. I'm, I, I just like if if I was going to warm up to that, it would have happened by now. Well, sometimes I, you're and wrong, I said, Doug. It's okay. I said <laughs> at the beginning, I think the overall plot line construction is pretty decent. But I just the execution is not working. For, I will tell you, this show pales in comparison to The Recruit, which was had some similarities. We talked about that a couple of months ago on the show. But it's the the also the the new young uh, plebeian. But this is a, a lawyer for the CIA and he gets pulled into stuff way above his pay grade. That show was so much better. And it's not the best I've ever seen, but it's way the heck better than this. Stackers way in. Who's right on this? I think it's probably me, but, uh, <laughs> but, but we'll let you guys decide. <laughs>